Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. What are we to make of the passages in the Old Testament where God calls for the utter destruction of a certain nation of peoples? Why is God so ruthless in this command? What are the lessons in it for us today? Is there any principle we can extract for ourselves in the commands of God to utterly destroy? There is, and today we'll begin our exploration into the strategic value of utter destruction. We'll be reading verses 12 through 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 13. Keep your Bibles open in Deuteronomy. We're going to look at a number of other verses here. If you hear someone in your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their cities, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true... And certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever and it shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments which I command you today and to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. If you go and you study the book of Deuteronomy and you read through it, you'll find that one of the key words that's repeated over and over again is the word to destroy. And actually, there's a short little phrase that you'll find repeated over and over again throughout the book of Deuteronomy as well. And the phrase is, utterly destroy, totally destroy. This book, Deuteronomy, was written as a second giving of the law to the children of Israel. The law had been given a generation before as a direction for the people of Israel in their service of God, in their worship of God, in their obedience of God, following the will of God, as they lived out the covenant life, and they were to take that law and those commandments in their obedience into the promised land. But the people of Israel at that time disobeyed, and they couldn't go into the promised land. God refused them. Instead, God allowed them to wander and die in the wilderness until a new generation rose up. They were a people who had been rescued from slavery in Egypt, but they were also a people who were not rescued into the glorious life of liberty waiting for them in the promised land. So now a new generation rises up, and they are about to go into that land, and the law is repeated to them as a guide into God's will, as an instruction for them to be a holy people. And God, through Moses, instructs the Israelite as to the manner in which they are set up their lives as they enter into this land. They are to set themselves up in this land, and they are to go forward into this life of obedience and holiness, having 
utterly destroyed those who had once or at that time were inhabiting the land. Those who were at that moment in time inhabiting the land in unholiness and in wretched wickedness or what the Bible calls abominations. God had a design for the children of Israel at that time. Through them, he wanted to establish a geographical region in the earth in which he would give expression to his kingdom rule. It would be as if among them, his own presence would be made known in the tabernacle and then in the temple, that God would establish his presence and his holy temple among them, his kingdom rule among them, and then through that land, that land would be like the garden of that temple. And out from that garden, then that kingdom would spread throughout all the earth. And this was the design, or this was the expression God wanted to begin to set forward through the people of Israel. And so these are the laws that you find in Deuteronomy from that king. And this is giving them something of the way in which they are to carry forth the expression of that kingdom rule in their lives. I'd like to, for just a moment, kind of take you through somewhat of a quick expression. We won't look at every time it's mentioned, but a quick progression of this order to utterly destroy that's found in the book of Deuteronomy. So take your Bibles and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 for a moment. And let me just read to you the first two verses of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Here, the people of Israel are commanded to utterly destroy all the nations that were already now inhabiting the promised land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Here they're told to destroy all the people and all the nations that inhabit the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, God commands the people to utterly destroy all the places, all of the instruments that gave expression to the idolatry that they carried forward when they occupied that land. Deuteronomy 12 verses 2 and 3. You shall surely or utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains, on the high hills, under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. Then we have Deuteronomy chapter 13, which you've just read. There, what we see is a command is given to the people of Israel to be prepared to utterly destroy those within their own communities and communities that have risen up within them who have somehow gone back and retrieved the manner of idolatry that was found among those that they were to have utterly destroyed before they occupied the place. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 to 18, we'll read that as well. Here, the command is repeated to destroy all the nations. And now, as it's repeated, the reason is given, and it reflects upon the commandment that's given in Deuteronomy chapter 13. It gives us the rationale or the concern of what is manifested in Deuteronomy chapter 13. God says, I want you to utterly destroy these nations in order that what potentially could happen in Deuteronomy chapter 13, where your own people and your own communities would allow these abominations to rise up within them and 
I would call upon you to destroy that community. Before, let's avert that. Let's keep that from happening by this great work of destruction. So verse 16 of chapter 20 of Deuteronomy begins, But of the cities of these people which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Actually, in some of the different passages of Scripture where something like this is read, we understand that it's everything that breathes, but in most passages it simply refers to the humans that inhabit that place. But you shall utterly destroy them, so it's the humans, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzite, the Hevite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. There's the commandment that's repeated over and over and again as a part of the second law to the children of Israel before they go in to inhabit the land of the promise and to establish this geographical region and take claim of it for the kingdom of God. Now, we are in the church today and we are not Israel. And there is no geographical region that we can take and claim and say this is and this domain and this land is given to be expressive of God's kingdom rule upon the earth. No, what God does now is he has brought the kingdom within us. Jesus Christ comes and dwells in the heart of the believer and he establishes our lives as the one's geographical location in which he wants to rule and reign and give expression of his kingdom rule. He rules in us now in this way and one day he will rule over all the earth. We're waiting for that coming when Jesus shall come and return and reign. But for now, in the present, the primary point and place and expression of the reign of God is within the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, and it's within the house that he's raised up the church, the body of Christ. Our bodies are temples of his Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus lives and rules and would be only not Savior, but must be. He cannot divide himself. He must be Savior and Lord and King in our lives. Here are some differences and some distinctions. This kingdom that Israel established in the land came through battle and conquest and death. The Israelites were a weak people who had been empowered by God's presence to drive out a well-established people. God goes forward before them and works to destroy the old inhabitants of the land. And then God establishes them as new inhabitants in the land of Canaan. Actually, the way that Christ now establishes his kingdom in our life follows a similar pattern. He comes to us. He abides within us. He brings his saving life to us. But at the moment that he brings his saving life to us, he puts to death the old man that had ruled and regulated and governed our bodies. Then Christ sets up within our bodies a new man, a new man that he works and rules through to take the place of the old inhabitant of our bodies. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in this kingdom where Christ rules in our bodies, there's still a danger. And the danger is that we will, in our flesh, take up the ways and the manners of the idolatry of that old man. There's the possibility that we might decide to use this body to serve other gods, to seek other ends than serving the Lord Jesus alone and serving his kingdom for his glory alone. And there's only one solution 
for how we are in this new man to occupy this body that we're to govern and rule and live within and Christ is to live within and the Spirit is to inhabit. There's only one way in which we are to carry forward the kingdom rule of Christ in our lives. That is to follow the solution against the tendencies of our flesh, the solution of utter destruction. Utterly destroy. The words still apply. So let me share with you some applications from the passages that we've read. Let me share with them as principles for our lives today. And here's the first one. It is the responsibility of those who have Christ established as king in their lives to apply this command of God found in Deuteronomy to themselves, both spiritually and morally. It's our responsibility to apply this principle to our own lives, both spiritually and morally. I'm sure you've heard it said that life is a battle. A lot of people think that life is a battle regardless where you are. You'll meet all kinds of people who would identify themselves as survivors. Some will now identify themselves as killers, just facing the problems and the issues of life around them. But for us, the battle is a little bit different. The battle isn't against you know, competing economic forces. The battle isn't a battle against competing ideologies of political organization and order. The battle for us is a battle against the impulses of our flesh. It's a battle against those impulses, those sinful impulses in our own flesh that are roiling about with the memory and the ghostly appetites of the old inhabitant. Thanks for joining us today at Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.